Hey, have you ever had just like a nagging injury? I'm 35, about to be 36 here in a, in a couple months, and I am feeling that age. Uh, I, I've, I've had a, a back pain in my lower back for probably four or five years now. Uh, I aggravated my sciatic nerve, snowboarding, which is probably, I'm probably too old to do that anymore, right? And I fell, and ever since then, uh, every once in a while it'll flare up and my leg will go numb if I sit for too long. And it's just a nagging injury that just is kind of always there. I also don't have particularly good posture. I think that probably plays into it. Uh, but I've got to get up and walk around every, every once in a while to make sure that my leg doesn't go numb. And it's really weird. But today we're going to talk about a man that had a situation that was far worse than mine and for far longer. Today, the passage that we're going to check out is the biographer, John. He is writing about this miracle at the pool of Bethesda. This is an event where the opposition to Jesus really begins to to take form and to take shape. And they realize that they are ready to start making plans to assassinate him. And he's no longer just an inconvenience to the religious elite. They see Jesus as a threat to their very existence, and they decide after this miracle at the pool of Bethesda that they are ready to take action. And Jesus is once again in Jerusalem for a cultural and a ceremonial feast, right? And he heads to this pool of Bethesda, which was apparently a place where the blind and the lame and the sick could go to be healed. And these verses say there's just a multitude of people that are there waiting and hoping that they could be healed. Picture that. Just injured people, people that are hurt, people that are hopeless, just lying there waiting to see if they could be the one that gets into that pool and somehow is healed. But Jesus walks into this situation. He sees all of these people And he focuses in on one man. We see that in John chapter 5 and verse 5. And I want to remind you, uh, if you're not watching on your phone, if you're watching on your phone, it might be a little bit difficult. But we do have an amazing app uh, that you can download and you can get the verses right there and all the notes are there. And it's even a place for you to take notes in there too. John 5, 5, this is what it says. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years years. This wasn't just a little back pain or a leg that was going numb. This man had a real problem, and he had this problem for a long time. And for whatever reason, Jesus locks in on this one man out of a multitude of people, and he had been sick for 38 years. Now, Jesus knew this man inside and out, and he had access to any random fact about this man, He had known his thoughts. He had known the sins that he had committed and the good deeds that he had done. Jesus knew this man. And he had compassion on him. John 5, 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, check this out, do you want to be healed? Jesus had a purpose. He was there for a reason. And notice he doesn't get caught up in the crowd of people and try and find a stage to get on or to get up in front of everybody so that he could be seen by the crowd. 
Instead, he got stuck in on one man. And then Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed, right? Do you want to be healed? But see, the Jesus, uh, when he asks questions for us, it's not for us, uh, for him to gain information from us. It's for us to answer those questions and to vocalize our need. He asks us questions for us, not for the benefit of him. He asks him, do you want to be healed? John 5, 7, the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one. Man, those four words really rung in my heart. I have no one. I have no one. How many people are out there that feel that way right now? I have no one. He says, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And then he says, he just says to Jesus, look, I have no hope of being healed ever. I can't get down to that pool. Someone else always makes it there in front of me. I have no one to help me. And I've been sick for 38 years and I don't ever see being healed. John 5, 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Jesus shows him that he didn't need the pool. He, this man thought that he was waiting on the pool and there was no help uh, ever going to come for him because he couldn't get there. But he actually wasn't waiting on the pool. He was waiting on the great physician to come and heal him. He just didn't know it yet. Now notice here, it's interesting. It doesn't say that his faith made him whole in this passage like we see in other passages. We don't even know if this man had ever even heard of Jesus before. And if he had heard of Jesus, he didn't know this was him. And we'll see that in just a little while. He didn't know this was Jesus. It wasn't this man's faith that drew Jesus to him. Jesus wasn't like, hey, this guy's the best Christian around, or this guy has just an amazing amount of faith, and so I'm going to heal him. That's not what happened here. Jesus chose to help this man because he felt for him. Verse 9, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. But there's a problem at the end of it here. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. See, immediately this man was made whole. It was amazing. And he goes to grab his sleeping bag because Jesus told him to head back to his house. And he gets up and he walks away, but bum, bum, bum. It was the Sabbath. Come on, Jesus. What are you doing here, right? You know that you're going to get in trouble for this. You know that this is going to ruffle some feathers. You've got six other days to heal someone. Why do you keep doing things on the Sabbath day? You know the Pharisees are going to hate this. Can't you just go with the flow for a little while? Can't you just lay low? Can't you just please people? Why do you always got to shake things up, Jesus? Verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not law for you to to take up your bed. But he answers them, the man who healed me that said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man that said it to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Uh Uh-oh. 
the traditional law-focused Jews, found out this man was carrying his bed. And the law said you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But they took this teaching way further than God intended. They took this teaching to the extreme. And the Jews stopped this healed man. And they said, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath day? And the man said, well, the man that healed me told me to do this. And and he healed me after 38 years. So I figure maybe I can listen to him, right? He must be important. He must be in charge. And the Jews asked, who was it uh, that healed him? But he didn't know. He didn't see him anymore either. Notice this, though, that these people saw this man was walking now. Realized he was at this pool. Realized he had to to have realized that he was healed. Why else would he have a bed just carrying it around? And they didn't rejoice with this man. He had 38 years of being uh, crippled and lame. and, And what they cared about was policy and not people. They didn't didn't rejoice with this man and say, hey, that's awesome. That's amazing what Jesus did for you. They said, hey, wait a minute. You're not allowed to do that. But later Jesus found that man at the temple, which is probably the right place to go after getting healed of 38 years of being crippled. You go and worship God at the temple, right? Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. See, Jesus filled a physical need for this man at the pool of Bethesda. But that wasn't the end of it. He wanted more than just a physical healing for that man. He wanted a spiritual healing as well. And we need to remember that whenever we attempt to seek people out to serve. Yes, we need to fill those needs in people with no strings attached. But don't leave it at that. Pursue the greatest need of all, the salvation of their souls. Because hunger is bad for you, but sin is worse. And thirst is bad for you, but sin is worse. And poverty is bad, but sin is worse. And Jesus said, look, don't take this physical healing for granted. It's great that you're well, and I know you're excited, but there's more to life than health. You need to live for the next life. And he tells him to go and sin no more. But the point there wasn't that he would go and try his best in his own power not to sin anymore. No, he was saying, repent, turn from your sin, fight sin. Hey, forgiveness will always be there for you and always be available for you. But God wants better for you than for you to constantly fall into things that hurt you. And sin hurts you. And instead, he wants to empower you to go and sin no more and have victory over sin. Later in verse 29, it says, come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Again, in in, in the Bible, it emphasizes that salvation changes us. And when we are uh, have evidence of God's moving in our life and good works, that's, that's proof that we have genuine salvation because a changed life is evidence that we are born again. And an unchanged life is evidence that we uh, don't have salvation present in our lives. 
Now, that's not an idea many of us maybe grew up with in church or maybe heard more about signing a card as a means to get to heaven or maybe getting baptized or taking a class or maybe even just repeating a prayer. We might not have heard that a person that is born again, a person that is saved, a person that has a relationship with God is going to follow Jesus. But that's what the Bible says. A person that has a real and genuine relationship with God. They've been saved, born again. They're going to follow Jesus with their lives. See, so the greatest proof that you are saved is what you are trusting in right now. It's not something happened way in the past. It's what are you believing in right now for your salvation? That's the real and true proof. Is God working in your heart right now? Are you exhibiting fruits of the Spirit? Now, we know we can't lose our salvation, but we need to make sure what we're trusting in is what the Bible tells us to trust in. Jesus and Jesus alone and what he did on the cross. See, ultimately, Jesus did not come to heal sickness, but to heal sin. And Jesus only picked one in a multitude of people to heal. But the goal wasn't really about sickness. It was about healing from sin. That's what he cared about with this man. He offered healing from sickness on his uh, earthly ministry to only a handful of people. But he offered healing from sin to all. God is not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. Sickness lasts for 38 years, but uh, sin's impacts last for 38 million years and more. That's how long our soul lasts. And Jesus came to show us love and to show us the way to get to him. Because sickness is only temporary, but the soul is eternal. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. See, before the man didn't know Jesus' name, but now he does. Oh, who healed me? Oh, that was Jesus. And then he starts telling people about what had happened for him. Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus, you know, why are you doing this? You know that they're going to get mad. But Jesus answered and said, My father is working until now, and I am working. Here Jesus answers the question about him working on Sunday. He says, my father made Sunday. He holds the universe together on Sunday. And we created the heavens and the earth together. My father and I are one. Sunday is the Lord's day and I am the Lord. Therefore, I can heal my creation on that day. Now, if you've ever had a loved one that is sick, that can be an incredibly hard thing. And we know that God can heal anyone, and he has the power to do that at any time. But we can be tempted to believe that if we do enough to impress God, and we uh, work hard enough, and we pray hard enough, and have big enough faith, that God will have to answer our prayers and have to listen to us. If we pray enough and praise enough and have that giant faith, if we do that, then we'll have God's arm tied around his back, and we'll have to force him into doing what we want him to do. That's called faith healing. And there are some churches that preach that. 
But sadly, there's also some Christians that had big faith that have died of cancer. And many even have died with guilt that maybe they, God didn't love them like he loved other people or that maybe they weren't good enough and they died with that guilt. And that's tragedy. Never fall into that trap. Never fall into that trap. We see in this passage that Jesus healed a man who didn't even know uh, who he was at that point. In this passage, it wasn't this man's faith that made him whole. And Jesus, again, only picked one man out of a multitude of people that were sick to heal. But I believe he did that on purpose. He's showing us that he is not primarily concerned with this temporary life. Jesus' main goal in his ministry was not just to heal the sick, but rather to heal us from our spiritual sickness and the sickness that will last into the next life if we're not careful and if we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus. He made that spiritual healing and forgiveness available to every single person when he died and rose again from the grave. So will every Christian be healed of their sickness? Sadly, no. But every Christian can pursue spiritual healing and holiness, which is actually the bigger deal. Live for the bigger blessing. God knows you today. He sees you today. He knows your struggles. He knows if you have a physical problem. He knows that if you have a spiritual problem. And maybe you're like that man when Jesus said, hey, would you want to be healed? And your first reaction is, I have no one. I have no one. That's not true. Because you have a friend in Jesus. And yes, he has the power to heal you of your physical uh, sickness and physical needs. And we will rejoice with you when that happens and if that happens. But you have a promise that God will heal you of your spiritual issues and your spiritual sickness. You have a a promise that God will help you with your fear and your doubt and your greed and your selfishness and your pride. And you have a promise that ultimately, if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will completely give you a brand new life after this one. And you're promised complete healing in the next life. So that's the challenge to you today. Live for the bigger blessing. Pursue the spiritual and the eternal over the physical and the temporary. Life has has been halted to a stop lately, and things have been way different than we thought they were going to be this year. And in the beginning of this whole thing, you probably realize that maybe there's something more to life than the busyness of life. Maybe there's something more than climbing a ladder uh, in your job or, or you know, just going out on the weekends and having fun. I'm sure along this way, you have been shaken in your soul about the fact that this life is temporary. And, and we have to live for the next life. Don't forget that. Things are opening up a little bit, and and we're trying anyway. And you might be tempted just to jump back in headlong into the busyness whenever this winds down. 
Live for the next life. Live for the eternal. Live for Jesus. Let's pray.